Hi everybody, you're listening to The Rope Podcast with Box and Maya. Thanks for supporting the show. This is a show with adult content, so if you are not of legal age where you live, then turn off now. Rope bondage is a risky activity, and you shouldn't attempt it without first getting proper training. Listen to episode zero if you haven't already. Fox is a rigger, and Maya is a bottom. We are long-term rope partners who live in Bangkok, Thailand. We love to share our passion for rope with the wider community. This episode is made possible by our patrons who support us each month. If you would like to help, head to ropepodcast.com to see many options. This year, we want to focus on bringing the Rope Podcast to a wider audience. To achieve that, we would like to ask you to follow us on Instagram and reshare this episode in your Instagram stories. We are Rope Podcast on Instagram. Another thing that helps us is if you give us a star rating on Apple Podcasts. It's anonymous, so you won't have your name visible on the internet connected with a kinky podcast, don't worry. And now, going on with the show. Maya, today I have prepared my hooded robe because we are going to summon Cthulhu. No, Fox, today is, in fact, a rock podcast episode about rituals. I'm not allowed to summon Cthulhu in the robe scene. No, but you can wear your robe. All right, I'll take that. Rituals, what do we mean by rituals? Is it going to be like some kind of spiritual thing? While some people do use rituals for spirituality um, and religion of all kinds, um, that's not what we're focusing on rituals today. So the definition of rituals, which is um, a well-researched sociological, anthropological, psychological phenomenon, is a solemn ceremony of actions according to a prescribed order. Can we unpack that a bit? So solemn means we're not allowed to have fun. No, (laughs) definitely not. I mean, we have a lot of fun, as probably listeners can tell. But it means giving uh, weight to the actions. So it's taking something seriously. Yeah, I would say so. And doing those actions in a prescribed order. So you've decided it in advance. You're not making it up as you go. Okay, so I have a process that's well-defined. That's a prescribed part. Yeah, you make it a lot less sexy, but yeah. And solemn means I take it seriously. I care about it. Yeah, yeah. Oh and my. you've probably done it more than once. And we're going to look at rituals in terms of a rope scene, but it could also mean a ritualistic approach to rope. And what would that be? Um, and that we could describe as a way of acting that's designed to make something more special, mm, um, more like distinguished that. compared to other more day-to-day activities. Oh, distinguished. It's like when we drink our tea in the special china. Yeah. So we're elevating an activity to something more than just a day-to-day, something we do without thinking. Okay. I like that a lot because for me, rope bondage is very special and I want it to feel like a special part of my day and not just... Okay, I'm going out and buying a sandwich. Yeah, and I think ritual is a really special ingredient of both BDSM more widely and then something we can bring into a rope scene or the way that we approach our rope, either individually because you can have some ritualistic activities that you do even when your partner doesn't know about them in the scene. Um, Secret rituals. Well, just rituals that are for you, not necessarily something that you share with them like coiling 
or laying out your rope in a certain way or doing a particular thing with your rope. They don't need to know that the first uh, way you uncoil your rope is is ritualistic to you and starts to seem for you. Mm-hmm. They can know. It's something against it. Could you then have a one-person ritual and also a two-person ritual where the two participants agree, okay, we're going to start the scene in this way and this is what it means to us? You absolutely could, yes, definitely. Mm-hmm. Are there any cultural pitfalls to using rituals with rope? Yeah, that's a good point. So we wanted to point out, as ever, watch out for uh, cultural appropriation and just trying to be particularly Japanese rope and feeling like you're doing Japanese rope because you do a particular um, act in your rope as a ritual. Again, this is not something we're super qualified to talk about. Mm -hmm. We suggest you check out the Midori episodes as one example and the Fabiola episodes as another example there. But in general, try and make up rituals that are meaningful to you as an individual and take into account your history and your experiences and maybe draw on other cultures but without that being something that then you feel is Japanese rope in inverted commas. Okay, that's very fair. So Maya, how do we use rituals in rope and what do they do for us? Um, I think we've touched on some of this already. They they can put us into the right headspace. So if we are doing a ritualistic activity, as we said, that elevates the act to Mm -hmm. something more special. And so that can give us this sense that what we're doing is different from the norm. Okay, and my bestie, Carla McLaren, has this notion of thresholding I really like. And for instance, you and I have a rope studio, which is a different room we go to, especially for rope. We don't go there to take meals. We don't go there to read books. And so when we physically enter this dedicated space, we know we are here to do rope. Yeah, that's a really literal meaning of thresholding. So when you step over that threshold, mm-hmm. um, you're creating a sense of specialness. But you can also have a more metaphorical sense of thresholding, I think, which would be something like when you kneel down and you put your hand on your partner's shoulder and you pick up your first coil, you mm-hmm. might do that in a particular way and that might transcend the day-to-day for you and take you into that more special space. So it's like you're entering an abstract bubble of rope time as opposed to a concrete physical space. Yeah, so you can use thresholding as a concept as either a metaphorical or indeed a physical idea of threshold. Hey guys, this is Fox coming in for a short break. We really want to share our love of rope to as many listeners as possible and for that we need your help. Please go to Instagram and follow our account Rope Podcast, then reshare this episode in your stories. Show your love of rope and help others discover it too. What about belonging? Do rituals have anything to do with the sense of belonging? I definitely think they do. If you look at the BDSM community, there's plenty of ritualistic activities going on there. From the way we make rules in our dungeons, to the way that we start parties, to the way that we conduct scenes with negotiation, a scene, and aftercare. Even that could be considered ritualistic okay. uh, in its sense. And then there's rope, individual rope communities themselves, so rather than the rope field, the, the rope communities more locally, 
or particular bigger and bottom schools. So particular styles of role often have rituals associated with them. So there's all kinds of things. And the pros and cons of that is this idea of insider versus outsider. So if you know the rituals for a particular group, you're an insider and those are the rituals you do. It's like a secret handshake. Like a secret handshake. But what are the downsides of something like that? Exclusion. Exclusion, yeah. So I think that's something, again, that I would be a bit wary of. I think it's really pleasant, enjoyable, and really speaks to a deep part of our humanity to belong, to have rituals. I think there's also something about making sure those rituals can be learned and can be open to other people. And just considering, are there any uh, barriers to people being able to learn those rituals or understand those rituals that you might not think about maybe in terms of um, ableism or other types of diversity. So if I understand you, Maya, it seems like there's two sides of that for a given king community or rope community, and that would be making sure their rituals are accessible to include the vastest potential number of people regardless. Can be accessible. Regardless of gender, regardless of physical ability. Money, money's a real... Okay. Like if you only can come to the party wearing a rare silk thread (laughs) bathrobe, then that's not going to be available to anyone. So that's one side. And another side is education. So you can actually explain to newcomers what the rituals are, why they're important, and how they can learn them. Mm, mm, because they can create a really magical space and so I'm very pro rituals rituals are sexy right yeah you only have to watch um, the Tom Cruise film Eyes Wide Shut let's do that right after this podcast let's put it on and enjoy it again it's kind of a dreadful film in some ways but it has a lot of sexy scenes what do you find dreadful about it it just didn't resonate with me so much unlikable people Yeah, I mean, you were talking about money as a mean of exclusion. I think that's one of the potential themes of that film. That is a really great um, point. So elements of ritual, there are plenty. Can you think of any off the top of your head? I tend to think that the rope scene starts with the negotiation. And that in itself can be a ritual. For instance, I tend to negotiate using a checklist. And that means all my pre-rope conversations are more or less going to follow the same general order of things. And over time, that does start to feel like a ritual a bit. So here um, I'm going to note this idea of specialness. So I don't, there's an interesting discussion and I'm not um, disagreeing. I'm, I guess, raising it as an interesting point around what is a process mm-hmm. or, a, or an ordered activity versus what is a ritual. Okay. And this idea of specialness, um, solemnity, solemnity, which we talked about at the beginning, um, I think is a real part of it. So I, I guess there's something about how you do that activity that's also really important. Um, so what do you think? Do you think that that criteria of specialness also, also applies there? I think it does in the sense that if I'm going to talk to someone for the first time in the context of we're discussing whether or not we're going to tie together, first of all, I'm going to pull out my checklist. And that in itself is an action that is special to the rope interaction. And I think the mindset this puts me in is very different from, let's say, I'm going 
on a blind date with a vanilla person, in which case it's much more chaos and whatever comes up, comes up. And we're going to talk about the weather and we're going to talk about their job or whatever people do on vanilla dates. Because honestly, it's been more than 20 <laughs> years since I've been on one. I don't really remember how it all works. Okay, that's really interesting. So the act of taking out the checklist for you becomes special. What I think is also interesting is that using this ordered list of questions gives you the permission and being in this space to ask questions that are a lot more intimate oh, absolutely. than you would on a vanilla date. So there's, so there's an interesting idea of what makes it special where you actually get to ask these kind of questions about, you know, the person's illnesses or, or whatever you ask. Mm-hmm. Give me an example of something you ask that might be considered particularly unusual or special. I ask what kind of underwear would you be wearing? Okay. Will it have uh, metal armatures in it? Okay, perfect. So that's exactly the kind of thing that you wouldn't ask day to day and so potentially could put your negotiation in the form of a ritual. All right. Um, The preparation of the space um, as a more um, right-hand side of the slash person and as the the person who often prepares your space, Mm -hmm. um, I definitely think can be very ritualistic. So putting things away that are not things, particularly if it's not a dedicated space, it's your bedroom. So when we're in our um, bedroom playing, we make sure the bed is clear, um, get out the rope. Um, if you're wanting a blindfold, you either tell me to get out a blindfold or you get out a blindfold. Mm-hmm. So changing the lighting, setting out candles. Um, the lighting of candles can be extremely ritualistic, right? Mm-hmm. And if you are a person who has an attraction for religious play, there's an overlap there you could play with as well. Yeah, and music being the other one. Again, you could uh, link that to religion, but also just music generally can put you into that headspace. So I think there's something there about using all five of your senses where you can uh, to prepare the space. Um, What else for you is ritualistic? Clothing. Clothing. And other adornments such as jewelry and so on. Obviously, you can talk about kink and rituals without thinking of colors which might be either put on or removed before a rope scene, <laughs> yeah. depending on people's protocols and risk profiles and so on. Yeah, you usually straighten my collar because it's usually askew, but we play with it on. Yeah, you, your collar never leaves your neck unless you're having some sort of medical emergency or like an inspection at an airport or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, so, so clothing. Yeah, you can definitely have types of clothing that you associate with rope. So you mm-hmm. actually use... Um, a particular type of Thai cotton trousers, yes. which are very comfortable and... Sometimes called fisherman trousers. Yeah, and you don't wear them day to day. No, this is in fact the only situation in which I wear them is when I'm about to start tying someone. So they're very comfortable, easy for you to move in, you don't have to wear a top with them. So that, that makes them quite a ritualistic piece of clothing. They are both functional because they do what I need for the rope scene. And also, yes, very symbolic of, okay, I am entering the space mentally of I'm going to tie someone up now. And also, I only wear them in my own studio. When I go tie at a party, I don't wear them. Usually because of the air conditioning. Yes, but also that means I'm in a different mind space, tying in public versus tying in private. Yeah, in private, there's a a more safe feeling of being contained in your own safe bubble that you've Mm. created rather than being in a more 
And there's much more control of the environment as well, which can be very conducive to ritual. Yeah. Also in clothing, we've been talking about putting clothes on, but I think there's a lot of potential in how you take clothes off before rope. And that can be, for instance, asking the bottom to undress in a certain order, fold their clothes in a certain way, put them down on a specific shelf or table reserved for that. Like you can build a whole ritual around that and you can have interesting overlaps with power exchange in this way as well yeah but it also doesn't have to be power exchange i was i was thinking that they could sound quite power exchangey which obviously we like but for those people who are not interested in power exchange we have a basket in mm-hmm. your rope studio where um, people who come in can put their things so that they don't lose them maybe yeah. um, but that could be ritualistic as well like coming in putting your outside world things into the basket and letting Absolutely. go stretching and warming up can be ritualistic for some people yes and I think it activates the body in a way that is quite powerful to tell yourself okay I am preparing for a different activity now in the same way that if you're going to yoga and you have a pre-yoga routine It's telling your body, okay, get in gear for this special activity that is going to have different demands than what we do in the day-to-day. But remember, it's only ritualistic if you do it in that particular order. So one thing I think I'd note here is that we're describing lots of activities which could be ritualistic, Mm -hmm. but you can also do all of these activities in a non-ritualistic way. You know, clearly you can just take your clothes off. Okay, so if I'm stretching pretty much the same way every time, it's more of a ritual. If I'm just doing some stretching, but it can change, it's not as much of a ritual. It's only a ritual, really, if you've decided it's a ritual. Okay, so there's intention. Intention, yes. Very nice. There's also meditation before or after rope and intentionally putting yourself in a certain mindset. Mm. So it could be something like taking the time to arrive, taking the time to connect physically and emotionally and mentally with your partner in a certain way. That could be just to give an example, synchronizing breathing and also maybe simply slowing down because we live a life that is often rushed, most of us, and taking the time to say, okay, we're about to go into rope, let's calm Let's slow everything down so we can really enjoy this experience. And a ritual there could be as simple as sitting in a particular way, touching in a particular way, breathing together, and then starting the world. That's the other thing I really want to get across in this episode, that rituals don't have to be overly complex. They can be, and they can be really fun, but they can just be a touch point to put you in the right headspace. All right. Getting a bit technical here, do you feel that treating an object as a fetish can have some relation to rituals? And I'm thinking of rope as the fetishistic object in this case, like the actual fiber coils of rope. Definitely. So placing the rope in a particular way, um, you know, a rope is just like a candle in terms of it's a, an item that you can use in a really ritualistic way Mm -hmm. uh, depending on whether you're doing it in an intentional order and rituals tend to have implements right or they can have them at least they definitely can have them yeah i mean if you look at um some of the religious services which definitely count as rituals and there's often um, aspects of physical 
items like books, like robes, like candles, all of these things. A chalice. A chalice. I like that word for some reason, chalice. A chalice, yeah. So a robe can definitely be an item. The sinusoidal sacrificial dagger. I mean, negotiate carefully if you're going to use it. I get the feeling we've been to different religious rituals, you and me, Maya. <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, yeah, how you place it, how you arrange it, how you coil it, what you do with it, how you open it. A rope is in itself an object which could be endlessly ritualistic. Do you have a specific way of putting down rope before a scene, Maya? Yes. So, we have an agreed way of making tiny pyramids of rope, of six coils. And so if I'm preparing a scene for you, then that's how I will uh, stack the rope. So that becomes ritualistic. Pyramids, that really stinks of the Illuminati, doesn't it? <laughs> what about food? Can like aftercare food be considered a ritual or is that stretching the definition? No, I, again, if you're doing it in an intentional way, it could be. A lot of people have a particular item of food that they have after rope. A particular type of chocolate. Um, cookies. <laughs> no cookies. Yeah, so again, all of these, there's, these are lots of examples of things that you can use, and it's about stringing them together in this idea of an intentional activity. So do you have a few more concrete examples of rituals people can or do use in the field of rope bondage? Yeah, so we talked a bit about pre preparing your rope, but that could also extend to how you treat your rope. Oh, so that's really further ahead by quite a lot. Like I just received some new rope and I need to treat it like wax it and burn it and this sort of thing. Yeah, that could be done in a ritualistic way. Coiling, absolutely. So for me, coiling is a very gentle activity that I enjoy a lot and that's something that feels quite ritualistic to me, but it's outside the scene usually because I do it on my own in a different time to the scene. Okay. What about packing the rope? Because I know some riggers use uh, like the special Japanese cloth thing, like the tenugui, which is like a patterned piece of cloth that you wrap the rope inside sort of like a present. Yeah, or special rigger bags. So some people have a particular bag that they use for their BDSM gear or their rope gear, that could be ritualistic. Mm. And that speaks to how you then set up your scene. So when you take that bag to a particular place, so we've talked about putting our rope in pyramids, are there a particular placement of the rope? Do you put it at a certain angle? Is it always near you to your left? Is it always on your tenugi? Mm. How, do you, how do you do that? And stop me if I'm wrong, but I think people who are, for example, high-level athletes use preparation rituals to help them perform under pressure. They do. And there's quite a lot of interesting research that those kind of rituals are a type of conditioning to help us get into the right mindset. And even when they're uh, meaningless in themselves, and rituals often are um, a load of meaningless acts strung together, mm -hmm. made meaningful by the intention. So wearing your lucky socks can mm -hmm. be And always putting the left foot first and then the right foot. Yeah, all of those in some ways are meaningless and, and in themselves, without them being ritualistic, don't have an effect on performance. But there's quite a lot of interesting research that says when we do those things with this intention in a ritualistic way and we do them repeatedly, they effectively condition us to get into that kind of headspace. So for people who can sometimes have performance anxiety with regards to doing rope, that could help, right? 
That definitely could, yeah. Tearing down the scene is another way that some concrete rituals can be found. What does that look like? So we've talked about coiling, but also the way you put your rope away, how you clean your toys, so maybe you clean your toys in a particular way, how you pack the bag, what you do with your things when they come home, do you put them in the sun? Okay, we certainly do that. We like to sun our rope to uh, make sure to get like things like mold and bacteria and everything out of it. And then we like to uh, put it in uh, vacuum bags because we live in a tropical country and if we leave rope out, it's going to rot. But the act of taking that special rope that would say we brought to the party, sunning it and putting it away in its vacuum bag, that seems meaningful, actually. It's like, okay, the party is over and this is going into storage until the next party. And the ritual becomes a type of thresholding in itself. Mm. There's also, obviously, sexual rituals. Oh, that sounds fun. (laughs) That you might bring into rope. And and rituals that you bring from outside rope. So permission to orgasm is something that a lot of people who have power exchange might have. Mm -hmm. And that you might bring into your rope space and be part of the rope ritual then. Okay. So that would be a more power exchange-y sexual ritual. But you could also have non-power exchange-y sexual rituals. And for instance, the way you use safer sex barriers, on the surface, some people might find those awkward or unpleasant to use. I'm thinking of condoms, for instance, or dental dams. But if you attach a ritual to it, you could make it nicer, potentially, Mm -hmm. for both people involved. So what's some ritual or a ritual that you include in your own role practice? I certainly have a specific way to start every scene, and that is kneeling down with my partner and touching them and laying my hands on them and taking a few deep breaths and the moment of calm before starting. And then I try to always crack my first coil of rope in the same way. Oh, how fascinating. So having a fixed beginning feels like a very safe place to start from, even though it could go anywhere from there. But the beginning point is always known. It's sort of like avoiding the blank page anxiety because you always know the first word that's going to come down. Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And for me, I guess they would be connected to our power exchange quite often, but they would probably be mostly around setting up the coils and then the coiling afterwards. So I wanted to just give the audience some aspects of ritual. So okay. um, I've read quite a bit on ritual because I find it a fascinating topic. And there are some aspects from a particular ritual studies scholar, Catherine Bell. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go through these to give people ideas. So the words are quite um, long, <laughs> psychology-based, but I really think that they might generate ideas for people. So these are aspects of ritual. Formalism. So mm-hmm. formalism is... Um, This way of having a very limited and rigidly organized set of expressions, so a restricted code. So it might be about the vocabulary that we use in rope. So we have um, a set of words that people use to describe Uh, rope positions. Like a bite or a futomomo or like words that are specific to rope. Exactly. So we have this idea of an organized set of expressions that we use to express ourselves in rope. Silence is actually used in a lot of scenes. So that would be a really restricted set of expressions. So Mm -hmm. that's one. The next one is traditionalism. So this 
pulls more on historical precedent. Oh, that sounds like a slippery slope in rope bondage, Maya. So it could, particularly around the whole Japanese rope fetishists, and we've definitely touched on that already, so I'm not going to go there. But you could have anything, any type of historical precedent in your rope. So traditionalism in rope, I mean, you're really, you could draw on Western bondage. Medieval torture methods. Yeah, or damsel in distress. Damsel in distress could be a type of traditionalism. And if I you include that in terms of maybe a ritualistic aspect of sacrificing the damsel, then that becomes an aspect of rope ritual. Mm. The next one, and I think this is very important, is invariance. So this is the idea of doing things over and over again in the same way. So she calls it careful choreography and timeless repetition. So you're doing things in the same way each time. And we know that the human brain is a pattern recognition machine. And so if you train it to expect a certain thing, you're going to get a certain satisfaction when the pattern does in fact unfold. Yeah. And having that specialness as the outcome of that choreography becomes the ritual. Okay. Rule governance. So here... This is around individuals in rituals are held to communally approved customs. And for me, aftercare, negotiation, consent, context around the scene, these are real, very obvious examples in rope bondage. Mm -hmm. And maybe people's communities also have other types of rule governance as aspects of their ritual. Okay. The next example is sacrifice. Oh, that sounds intriguing, Maya. So this is about sacred symbols in the act. Now, I think rope itself can be a sacred symbol, but I also think pain could be a sacred symbol. I mean, anything can be. And I have a lot of fantasies personally about the idea of devouring or consuming my bottom in some way when I'm doing rope. So that speaks to me a lot. Okay, that's interesting. And again, I'm throwing nom, out nom, 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 nom. <laughs> I'm throwing out these words as much to inspire people as anything else. You know, people create their own rituals from what they're doing, but it might be that they spark something for people, so I thought that they were interesting. The last one is performance, and I'm gonna read a quote from her. A theatrical-like frame around the activities, symbols, and events that shape participants' experience and cognitive ordering of the world, simplifying the chaos of life and imposing a more or less coherent system of categories of meaning onto it. Oh, that reminds me of Grey Dancer. Okay, why is that? Because he has a big background in performance art and they really like having theatrics in his scenes. Hmm. So that's then creating. So that's a really good example because he told us about a scene in the Christmas episode where he had put together an entire experience for the bottom and he presented that in a very theatrical way. Uh, And there was a lot of meaning in there. A lot of the activities that he did were meaningful to one or more of the participants. Rituals actually sound like a new tool we could leverage in our rope scenes, Maya. I definitely think it is. Um, And I think, you know, don't be put off, listeners, by my perhaps more formal or technical words. It might be a bit intimidating as an idea, but I really think it can be super interesting um, and to reinforce and help use conditioning in a positive way. And maybe for some of our listeners, this notion of rope rituals is completely new, but maybe you've been doing it for years, in which case, please come to the comments for this episode and share with us some of the rope rituals you practice. 
Thanks for listening. And have fun tying. <laughs>